0: You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading energy analyst, David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and Solar experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring
1: hello and welcome to this latest edition of the energy insiders podcast my name is giles parkinson i'm the editor of renew economy and joining me as usual is itk analyst david leach david how are you i'm very well thanks giles and i trust uh, you're well and i trust all our listeners are well and i i, I hear we've got a, a very good interview this evening Yeah, look, I managed to catch up with Sam Kimmins from RE100, um, which is something set up by the Climate Group about four years ago to try and encourage corporates to go 100% renewable energy. And, um, look, originally it started off as a bit of a tick-the-box exercise and corporate um, social responsibility, but has now turned into a bit of an economic driver because they've all discovered that renewables are cheaper than what their alternative is now. So they've got 154 companies on board with a combined total of about 184 terawatt hours a year, which is almost equivalent to um, Australia's main national electricity market. Well, I
2: I agree with that, and I'll be interested to hear that interview, uh, and I've often wondered why there aren't any RE100 companies in Australia. Uh, Having said that, I I do want to point out it's one thing to buy renewable energy certificates in a whole lot of uh, different places, and it's another thing to run an electricity grid, which is 100% renewable. Uh, they're, They're not the same
1: job at all. Oh, no, look, that's absolutely true. But what does a company do um, apart from actually sort of creating its own grid, which um, which I guess some people like Nectar Farms with a new glasshouse in Victoria is actually proposing to do down at the Balgana um, Energy Hub with uh, a big wind farm and battery storage. But I guess the company, the most it can do is buy the equivalent amount of electricity, um, which I guess is what the ACT is doing.
2: Uh, y- y- yes, you see, even the ACT is a case in point. In fact, it, it buys 100% renewable energy, but doesn't actually bear any of the responsibility of running a system with 100% renewable energy. It's just a, a, a purely financial markets transaction. Look, I'm 3,000% in favour of RE100, and I think it's a wonderful idea, and some Australian companies should be on board, uh, if not a lot of them, but uh, it is it is just a financial and Uh, in some ways feel good communication it doesn't actually necessarily produce a complete transformation of the system and and, and decarbonise it. Look, it's very good. It's very good.
1: Yeah, no, look, it's interesting. But it's an interesting point because I actually had um, a couple of people ring me up um, a couple of weeks ago, um, Dick Smith, for instance, um, and he was really upset about um, the ACT and the fact that we describe it as 100% renewables. And I did say, well, look, it is the equivalent of 100%. and And he went on for that very same reason, sort of pointing out, well, when the wind don't blow and the sun don't shine, then they're obviously using something else and it's probably coal. My argument though, and it's a bit like our conversation with Flow Power last week, the more corporate PPAs you get into the system, then the more renewables into the system and that just sort of accelerates the transition and it's nice to see something else apart from households and small businesses um, getting, um, um, you know, joining up anyway. That's right, Giles, that's right. Yeah, look, let's have a listen anyway right now. Um, This is um, Sam Kimmins from RE100. So Sam Kimmins from the Climate Group, Uh, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you Giles.
1: You set up RE100 in 2014, what were you trying to achieve and what made you think that you would be successful?
0: Yeah so the climate group and uh, in partnership with CDP um, set up the, the, um, the RE100 project in 2014 and uh, the aim was to change the conversation about renewable energy, um, build a big market and uh, really, you know, build a big corporate market for renewable electricity. Demonstrate that there were customers for this, um, this for this product. Um, the old conversation was very much about you know sellers saying you know you really should be buying uh, wind turbines and our solar panels, and about government you know having to meet their their targets. So our founders IKEA and Swiss Re really kick things off with their with hundred percent commitment. And uh, yeah, it really showed through you know, people joining such as Unilever, Google, Facebook, etc., that these giants of business really wanted renewable electricity. It wasn't something being foisted upon them by, by governments or by the NGO community.
1: But I understand though, at first, though, it was a certain amount of sort of ticking the box on CSR, corporate social responsibility, but that has changed over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, so CSR has of course played a role. It's, it's, it's the right thing to do, it's a good thing to do. It's also a very effective way of reducing carbon emissions. So a lot of these companies with, with carbon targets, um, you know, buying renewable electricity, it's a great way of, of achieving that. What's changed over the last couple of years is that it now absolutely makes business sense. The cost of solar, the cost of wind, have dropped each by around 80% over the past seven, eight years. Um, yeah, And they're carrying on dropping by about 10% a year, which means that in many parts of the world, uh, renewables are a lot cheaper than um, conventional forms of electricity.
1: So these companies are actually saying then they're saving money from, do it, for, from, from adopting this process and going 100% renewables?
0: Yes. Yeah, that's so, the, the bottom line, right? So, so what? Um, so
1: you've got 154 companies on board now, and my understanding is that it's what it's something like 184 terawatt hours, which is almost equivalent to the entire demand of Australia's main grid.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that is it's three quarters of the total demand of Australia, and about the the equivalent of the of the main grid. Um, those companies are uh, spread across the world, so we're we're in over 120 countries and uh, they're putting their money where their mouths are. They're, they're actually investing in renewable electricity at scale. So you'll, uh, you may be familiar with the, uh, the fact that Mars have uh, recently signed a deal that will take them to 100% renewable in Australia. Um, Google and Lego and Apple have all achieved 100% renewable for their global operations. So, you know, this isn't just setting a target. This is real, you know, um, spades in the ground um, generating real renewable electricity and when you've got the biggest
1: companies in the world and some of the major manufacturers in the world embracing 100% renewables and doing so because it's a strong business case as well as the need to reduce emissions and um, and, and to be and, and to do the right thing to what to, to what impact do you think that this has on the governments in the world who, who obviously sort of you know trailing behind
0: yeah so um, the you know the, the European Union have uh, recently passed the Clean Energy Package, which we uh, we work very closely with the with the Commission and with the Parliament and the European Council to ensure that uh, the companies across Europe were able to buy renewable electricity at competitive prices that match the market rate. Um, so really, what we're asking for of governments is that, that more about removing barriers rather than uh, providing subsidies, and uh, yeah, the governments are waking up to this opportunity. So our members um, overall represent around ninety four billion in investment opportunity, uh, ninety four U S dollars in investment opportunity. That that is quite attractive if you're a um, if you're the government of Japan or or South Korea where you. Yeah, you know, corporates can't currently buy renewable electricity. And so they're actually asking us, okay, what, what policies do we need to put in place to allow those companies to buy renewable electricity and invest in our um, energy, renewable energy systems?
1: And so mostly it's about getting out of the way, I suppose.
0: <laughs> to, to an extent, yes. I mean, what, <laughs> what companies do want is, is long-term surety. What they don't want is governments to keep changing their mind putting in subsidies taking them away putting in policy support policies taking them away um you know liking coal liking something else etc for long-term surety so that you can sign a long-term five-year 10-year or even 20-year power purchase agreement and be sure that the the, the policy environment won't change on a on a policy whim
1: now, um, you've got, um, uh, I think, uh, three-quarters of your companies, I think, actually have operations in Australia, and you mentioned Mars. Um, interestingly enough, um, the solar fund that Mars is con- going to contract, Kaimal, um, is just about to begin construction in Victoria, and the... Um and another one is InBev, the big brewing group, who's Australian mm-hmm. subsidiary, Colton United Breweries. And the solar farm that they've contracted, Caradoc, actually started generating um, this week. So that's a couple of milestones. So, so 75% of those companies that have signed up to the RE100 do have operations in Australia. Do you yet have any Australian-based companies signed up to RE100?
0: We don't. All the 75 companies that are signed up, that are uh, present in, in Australia are actually international um, companies with presence here rather than, uh, rather than domestic, you know, home-grown companies. Mm. Um, but we are speaking to a number of uh, Australian companies who are, who are looking at this very keenly. There are comp- Australian companies who are investing in power purchase agreements, they just haven't yet made that 100% commitment. I think there is there is a lot of interest. I and mean, we met with uh, 40 uh, large uh, Australian companies at the Arab headquarters yesterday. and there is significant interest in actually growing this movement and really demonstrating that uh, there is a business case for renewables in Australia. I think there's been a lot of confusion around you know different signals around whether it's it's competitive or not. Business is saying, well, hang on, this really is competitive. We're investing in it at scale. And, you know, we'd like government support in enabling us to do that in future.
1: You do mention, indeed, um, in a, a lot of big Australian companies have moved to having some power purchase agreements, um, you know, sourcing 20, 30 or 40% of their electricity mm. demand from wind and solar. What do these companies, the 40 companies that turned up on Thursday to hear you speak, what do they want to know about going 100% renewables?
0: So. I think there's a, there's a certain um, awe um, of the companies that have, that have done this. When people first hear about it, they go, whoa, hang on, isn't that a, little, you know, isn't that a bit crazy, 100%? But the, the proof is in the pudding. What, what's fantastic is when, when companies like Mars or, or Unilever or Fujitsu, who presented it, uh, at yesterday's event, when they tell their stories about why they've done this and how they're going about it, and when you hear from companies such as, um, such as Google or Apple or Lego, who have already achieved their 100% goals, it's a really positive story in that 100% leaves no room for doubt. It means your entire organisation is actually focused on this, which means you're putting the right amount of effort, the right amount of innovation to capture this future market. So when I say uh, solar and wind have dropped by 80%, the price has dropped by 80% in the past seven years. This isn't stopping. This is the future, and forward-thinking companies are wanting to be part of that future, and they're wanting to be capitalising and able to capitalising on it and able to actually participate in these future energy markets, and that means acting now. And
1: it's interesting, you've also done some uh, um, statistics or sort of done some research which shows that the people who do embrace this concept, uh, i.e. go 100% renewables, also deliver better overall returns to the shareholders, presumably because they're sort of smarter and quicker and and, and thinking better about the future than their competitors.
0: Absolutely, yes. So Capgemini, the French consultancy, recently published some research uh, for us Uh, which is available on our our website, um, www.re100.org. And what they did was they compared uh, the RE100 members with 3,400 of their peers um, by sector. And they compared them on net profit margin and EBIT to to very uh, clear indicators of business performance. And by sector, our members outperformed their peers on both both of those measures. Now this isn't saying that you know there's not a causative relationship this isn't saying that if you buy re- renewable electricity you will out-com- outcompete your peers this is this is a correlation so those companies that are buying renewables are well run companies that know what they're doing these are the kind of companies that are you know uh, investment gold and you know what what this really shows is that forward thinking companies are making bold commitments for renewable electricity and thinking about the future.
1: Hmm. You also made a presentation um, in um, in Canberra on Wednesday, so you would have got a brief look at some of the politics of what's going on in Australia. What um, what observations could you make from your from your, your brief stay here and your brief um,
0: sojourn to Parliament House? Yeah, I think there's you know, the, What's really interesting is there there is a. A big commercial opportunity and companies are able to um, to make significant purchases of renewable electricity through PPAs. The market is relatively liberi- liberalised, the opportunities are there. I don't think the government is recognising what that opportunity is yet. There's, it, there is a bit of a lag the, uh, between the understanding of the government, uh, but, you know, between the reality of what's happening. You know, if you are after fair income, um, stable and cheap uh, reliable electricity. Then what you want is renewable electricity because it is, on site, cheaper <laughs> than uh, than coal. Oh, um,
1: I'm very impressed that you've been here for a week and you've all, already picked up on the lexicon. Fit in compare. So uh, <laughs> that's quite impressive. <laughs> yeah well look indeed um look Sam um thank you very much for joining us and um and all the best one final question you've got to hundred and fifty four that's more than where you thought you would you would get to
0: mm. what, 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 what's the target now? Well, I we we had fourteen companies join us just in the last six weeks from seven different countries. So the the growth rate is quite phenomenal. Um, what we're looking to do is is really strengthen the RE one hundred movement in in different countries. And for Australia, we, we you know we have seventy five companies who are active um in the country at the moment. And we'd really like to bring on board some local companies to uh, you know bring that to one hundred. Australian, um, one hundred companies operating in Australia really pushing towards that one hundred percent renewable, um, and help the electricity system you know become a truly future ready um, power system. And feed income too. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> Sam.
1: Thank you very much for joining us.
0: Uh, so thank you for having me.
1: Okay, that was Sam Kimmins from RE One Hundred from the Climate Group. Um, samson told me afterwards that he's quite hopeful of um, some Australian companies uh, maybe signing up in the new year. So we'll see how that goes. It'll be beautiful timing if it is, because um, if we've got some of the major consumers going, uh, energy consumers going, 100% renewables and, and pinning their future on renewable energy, at the moment, we seem to have a government which is looking the other way, David, um, particularly after last week. Yes, look,
2: I'm... Uh... One of the other things that happened during the week was the communiqué from the CoEg Energy Council, and I've gone straight to the end of that and focused on the energy market updates, where Audrey Ziebelman has noted that AIMO have a strong place in plan in, plan in place for summer, uh, but that ad- additional measures are required to support future reliability, including transmission and interconnection, and that's the integrated system plan that we've talked about before. But uh, Kerry shot. Uh, And Claire Savage, um, uh, both um, members of the Energy Security Board, briefed ministers on a draft Strategic Energy Plan, the SEP. Here's another an an acronym. acronym, Oh, my goodness me. What's that about? uh, Which will provide overarching guidance on the operation and evolution of energy markets in Australia. The ESB is Mm. developing this plan on behalf of council, as recommended in the Finkel review. Now, my... Uh, pointed B. Why on earth is the federal government proceeding with the ACCC advice without first consulting the ESB? This is the single biggest uh, complaint about the ACCC recommendations that they've been made completely independently of the ESB, independently of what AEMO has suggested, independently of what the AEMC's rules and rulemaking process, um, and independently of the AER, and I, you know, I just feel that's wrong. It's difficult enough for everyone to get the electricity planning and plans in place and process without having um, just jumping the guns stuff.
1: What, what, what do we think this SCP is then? Um, I completely missed that when I was looking at the um, at the uh, at the communiqué. So um, is, that, is that the same thing as what um, AEMO is designing with integrated system plan, or is that different?
2: It seems to be a focus. The integrated system plan is seems to be these days more about uh, transmission, which uh, is very important, um, but. Um, Uh, this seems to be a bigger plan uh, and document but who knows I think what's becoming clear is that without support from the federal government uh, you can't get any of these plans or operations through and you might as well go back to a state government and have their own separate system Mm.
1: as well. Look, you mentioned some of the ACCC proposals and um, the government did adopt some of these, at least partially, and sort of was was mighty selective when uh, um, Angus Taylor and Scott Morrison came out last Tuesday and Wednesday. I do want to pick through a couple of those ones, Um, now particularly this default price. Now, um, this seems to be an interesting one. It seems to be a reasonably good idea in some circumstances, but it can go terribly wrong because that default if the default price is brought down too low, then effectively it's just going to narrow narrow the range of offers and reduce uh, competition. Either way, however much it's actually lowered, people getting really good prices at the bottom of the um, at, at the bottom of the spectrum are probably going to find their prices going up. But um, but this issue about the sort of the narrowing of um, the narrowing of competition that can that's not going to be very good for the smaller retailers. I don't think
2: we've already seen in New South Wales, which was uh, took much longer to deregulate final consumer prices than the other states, that the default prices when put in limited the amount of competition. The reason why Origin's got 50% market share in New South Wales uh, and is essentially that uh, no one wanted to come in. Every study I ever saw of headroom, that is the amount of retail margin available, um, always ended up um, uh, showing that there wasn't that much headroom in New South Wales when we had these default uh, prices. As other people pointed out, Giles, there there are economies of scale, there are economies of scope in vertical and horizontal integration, which is what's led to the existence of these gen tailors. It's, it's every judicial de- decision that's ever been made in the tribunals has shown that every, electricity retailers and generators always want to vertically integrate. And that's a very natural force that's difficult to, to prevent. So I'm not quite sure what exactly how to, to deal with that.
1: Yeah, let's move on to the other part of that, um, um, another one of the recommendations, and this is for this new generation. Now, this was um, talked about by Rod Sims um, when he released his report a couple of months ago. Angus Taylor has, um, look, he's in, he looks like he's in a bit of a rush. Um, we, we are expecting to have an election by next May, but he looks pretty keen to get something out of the door by March. So what he's done is that he's released a consultation paper, he wants feedback back by um, about five minutes time, I think, but it's the end of next week. Um, Then he wants expressions of interest to come in over December and January, and then he wants a a formal tender in February and uh, finalised by March and all signed said and delivered to operate by, well not operate, but um, the contracts come in place by July the 1st. I guess what's really disturbing about this is that um, the Rod Sims original idea of bringing more competition in the market, um, look, this can be sort of cut and pasted either way, and it looks like it's going to be cut and pasted towards favouring uh, new investment in coal. I doubt if it's going to be a new coal-fired generator, but it looks, it's looking to me increasingly like it's going to be an opportunity for some of the existing coal generators to lock in some sort of level of support um, to uh, extend the life of their assets by five or ten years. I think it's a
2: disgrace in, in the way it's been done. And as I said, it's a disgrace in that it, it cuts across uh, ESB and all the other policy-making objectives, without providing very good evidence. It's a simple statement in Rod Sims' report that uh, some of these—some people have complained to Rod Sims that there's not enough long-term financial support, but he's provided no real evidence. Not uh, one example of one of these projects has actually been raised publicly. Uh, he was talking about 40 to 50 dollars a megawatt hour for dispatchable electricity. Well, I, I think that is totally laughable. The coal price I work to is about. Uh, From say the 2020s onwards, is about $37 a megawatt hour, Uh, and that's that's for crappy coal, if I can put it that way. If you wanted to have uh, a a modern, lower, slightly lower emission, supercritical coal plant, then you'd be working towards uh, a a $45 coal price, um, uh, at least. Uh, Not to mention all the other costs. And you can't build pumped hydro uh, and get the wind and solar into supply and make the whole thing dispatchable for 45 or $50 a megawatt hour. Gas is out of the question. You know, I, I, I think it's. Um, and, and the whole process is just completely dud. I mean, he hasn't really, there's a whole bunch of criteria. But no, no price isn't mentioned. There's not a t- tender process. It's just you submit a proposal, and the federal government makes a winner. Hey, where did I last hear about that? Was that in regard to the Barrier Reef or something? <laughs> you know, you know, this is this is fair dinkum bullshit. That's what the appropriate <laughs> phrase <dinkum> is: <laughs> fair dinkum bullshit. And 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 what's incredibly wrong with it? It's not the Liberal Party anymore. It's become the Conservative Party. I don't know why they don't change their name. It seems to have nothing to do with free. energy. Enterprise. If I was an AGL or Origin shareholder or worker, I'd be I'd be horrified at the way that this is proceeding. What's been done in, is normally you have a lot of consulta- consultation, a lot of planning. Look at the way the carbon price was developed: the, the green paper, the white paper, preceding state papers, a massive amount of discussion and feedback. You normally develop these processes over over a year or so. The same thing happened in. Um, in Victoria and in even in South Australia uh, uh, you know anyway Giles, yeah. I could go on and on the fact no, is No no
1: no no but there's, there's one thing there's one thing I'd just like to narrow down though um, it's interesting I mean, you talked about emissions I mean there is actually no emissions component it sort of says if a project gets developed and it mustn't actually upset the sort of target for 26% but that target's going to be met by um by 2020 Well it's worse it's difficult. worse than that Giles.
2: it's much worse than that as if I read or some press reports correctly and I, I can barely listen to Taylor, he apparently uh, said that the federal government would guarantee no harm from future indemnified. Indem- That's right, indemnification. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's not nothing more to be said about this. Uh, I, I, I am not particularly political, or I try not to be. I just really am in favour of sensible policy, and I hate being taken to be a, a greenie lefty. Uh, because I really just well, I believe in competition and markets and that, but th- these, this policy development framework is a
1: complete disgrace. Yeah, how might it work though? Let's say that the offer goes out there, and a couple of people like Trevor St. Baker and Brian Fannery at Vales Point, and a couple of the others want to extend the life of their coal generator. Would they be happy if they say, "God, you give us ten dollars a megawatt, you guarantee us ten dollars a megawatt hour, twenty dollars a megawatt hour"? That's like kind of like an over and under for them, or whatever it is. Would that be enough for them to sort of you know um, change the way they're thinking about the future? Would that be enough, or, or would they need to get the full freight cost? Well, well, Trevor
2: St. Baker doesn't have the money to do. It. he's going to have to find a financial backer. And um, I think the coal costs at Vale's point are going to go up significantly. The um, financial difficulties of the Chain Valley coal mine are well known, and uh, they need higher coal prices. So I think even there, it's not going to be that easy. But look, uh, if, we, we, if you do things properly and have a competitive tender, and it's competitive on price, and maybe it's something like a pumped hydro, Um, then then you have to wait and see what turns up in the market. Um, So you should never say never.
1: Okay. Well, look. let's leave that. Um, It would be interesting to sort of monitor. Um, Look, not much else happened um, this week. I don't think we had a couple of new solar farms um, open, and that probably goes back to the start of our conversation today about um, renewables. Uh, we had, um, who do we have starting? We had the Caradoc Solar Farm uh, just came into production this last week. Um, they're supplying power to the Colton United Breweries as part of their sort of global push by Indev to go 100% renewables. Uh, we also have the Bannerton Solar Farm which is supplying to the tram network and um, approval given to the Cayamil Solar Farm just a week or two ago including synchronous condensers and that's going to be for the likes of Mars Australia and um, and some others. So um, we're starting to see Dave, oh we also saw the four Formal opening of uh, the uh, Ballarat battery storage. It's not actually in full operations yet but I think um, Lily D'Ambrosio down in Victoria is very keen to open things formally before the care period comes in um, in a couple of days time so we might see the Ganawarra battery storage. Yes but um, by the time we
2: have the uh, Victorian and South Australian retail plans in full operation I think in a couple of years time we'll have 300 megawatt hours of battery storage or 300 megawatts anyway of total capacity which is starting to be a uh, a meaningful number. And so we look forward to that. So as you say, we're now in the phase of just watching all these new plants come into operation and lift their market share and seeing what ha- impact that has on market price. Absolutely.
1: Okay, then. Look, I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank our um, sponsors, Solaray Energy and Watches. Um, David, um, look, we might just leave it there, eh? And um, we'll be back again next week. Yeah, indeed. And look forward to chatting then. Good stuff. And um, just to the listeners, um, please listen to Solar Insiders if you haven't already, and also our new EV webcast, The Driven. And I do want to point you to, to, to a um, an essay competition. It's called the Gil Owen Essay Competition. Renew Economy is playing a supporting role in this. It's actually been run by the Institute of Sustainable Futures and the Energy Consumers um, Association. It's asking for an essay about uh, energy efficiency, the, uh, the long forgotten element of our um, energy system, and fairness gill owen was a wonderful player uh, advocate for this in the market and not only do you get the not only does the winning essay get to be published in renew economy it also wins a fifteen thousand dollars scholarship. So that might be even more interesting than than renew economy um entries do close in a couple of weeks so do go on our website and have a look and check that out because um i think it'd be well worth doing so thanks for that and uh, we'll be back again next week bye for now
0: Energy Insiders was brought to you by Wattwatches, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit wattwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solarray Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today.